How many of you guys in the congregation have ever heard of the Moses Law? You've heard of the Moses Law? What, what is the Moses Law? The Ten Commandments. Okay, Sonia? All of Leviticus? Okay, that would be the Mosaic Law, but yeah. Okay, but have you ever heard of the Moses Law? It has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with Christianity. It's an actual law on the statutes. And it's throughout all of the United States. It's not the official name of the law, but it's the, the, the colloquial name of the law. And it's known as the Moses Law. And what it is, every state has different rules. But if you are a parent of a child, you can take the child to a certain location, as the law would dictate, and drop that child off and walk away and never come back. And you would not be in any way prosecuted. You would be allowed to dispose of, if you will, your responsibility for that child and turn the child over to an authority figure. Here in the state of Alaska, well, before I get into the Alaskan statutes, the, the law allows up to, in various states, allows up to certain ages. Some states will allow you to do it all the way up to the age of three. In the state of Alaska, we are allowed in the state to do it up to the third week. So by the time a child has reached their 21st day, um, you, anytime in that first three weeks, you're allowed to drop them off at either a hospital, a police officer, you don't even have to go to the police station. You can just walk up to a police car, hand the child, and walk away. You can go to a fire station. You can go to any emergency medical service provider. So if there's somebody living in your community who is a paramedic, you can knock on their front door and hand it to them and say, no longer mine. In some cases, and I don't know all of the rules of the state of Alaska, in some cases, it doesn't have to be the parent. It can actually be another adult as long as the parent has given permission for it to take place. For example, say I knew of a young woman who didn't want their child anymore but was too afraid, ashamed, embarrassed to take the child. They could give me the child and give me permission to take the child to one of these authorized locations. In some cases, in some states, they're actually allowed to bring it to a church, but not in Alaska. So in Alaska, it would be illegal for a parent to bring their child to me, but they could give me permission to take the child to the hospital or the police or the EMS, and that would be a legal process as long as I had the permission of the parent. And that way the parent can stay anonymous. See, that's one of the reasons why they would do this. Um, now, some of you have been sitting there shaking your heads. Some of you have horrified looks on your faces. But this is the law. This is, this is a way to protect the child, okay? Um, much better than having the child drowned, wouldn't it be? Or left out in the cold and just walked away from um, I'm not saying that I necessarily agree, but it is, it is a way that our culture has come up with so that you can get rid of the kid if you don't want it anymore. Interesting thought. Did you know it's in the Bible that a woman did that very thing? Can you think of who I'm talking of? Don't say it out loud yet. Give everybody else a chance. 
Can you think of the woman in the Bible who literally, by the age of three, handed her son off and walked away? Okay. Her name is Hannah. She's the wife of Elkanah. And I'm going to read to you the entire chapter, the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Because it's an interesting story that I want to look at. But some of us are familiar with the story, some may not be familiar. And so in order to understand what's going on, we need to read through this. So I'm going to be reading the first chapter of the book of Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, who was an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. And the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phineas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And though the Lord had closed her womb, her her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me. And not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. Then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants. No razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. And then Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. And then the woman went to her quarters and ate and drank with her husband and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and they worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his household went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, 
As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and remain there forever. I will offer him as a Nazarite for all time. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. She brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. And for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. And therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And she left him there for the Lord. And if you go into chapter 2 at the end, it says that every year... She would come with her family and she would bring him new clothes. It also says that God remembered Hannah and opened her womb and she had other children. But she never got her son back. He was gone. She gave him to the Lord. She saw him every year, but all she did was bring him clothes. That was it. There was no, oh, I'm your mama and I love you. It was just... She saw him and she brought him close because she had given him away. And we see that as such a beautiful, wonderful story, but you sat here horrified as I talked about another woman who would give up her child. Because she didn't want. Because she didn't want. Yeah, okay. Huh? Hannah wanted her child. Well, we're going to talk more about that tonight in our community group. That's the discussion for tonight, is how does the church reach out to those people who are stuck between a rock and a hard place and have no recourse but to do the horrible things? What can we do as a church to minister to them? And and how can we be more conscious of people as they're going through it before they actually reach that crisis point? So we'll talk about that tonight in our community group. But let's, let's look at this idea of giving up the precious thing. I can't imagine, in my own heart, I can't imagine ever making that kind of an agreement with God. If you'll just let me have a child, I'll give it up. I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Honestly, it doesn't. I'm not saying that it was wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying I disagree with what happened. I think... Obviously, God had a plan, because if you look at the whole story of, of Israel, Samuel plays an incredible role in this. And the child is Samuel. I mean, we can go on into chapter 3 and look about how God started calling Samuel when he was just a little boy. And the word of God would come to Samuel and he became a prophet and he became an incredible leader and he led Israel for 40 plus years. So God had this incredible plan and purpose for this child to be born. And I can see that it would even be appropriate that he would have been raised in the Levite household of Eli. So that he could learn to be a priest before the Lord. Because he was a prophet, he was a priest, he was the leader of this nation of Israel. 
But I don't want to focus on Samuel as much as I want to focus on Hannah this morning. I want to think about a little bit, just a few few moments about her heart. She gets chastised by the church as she's standing before God, pouring out her heart, thinking she's a brazen woman coming into the church drunk. She gets harassed and harmed by the members of her household. And her husband doesn't even understand her pain. Because what were his words? What? I'm not good enough? I can't meet the need of your heart? I'm not worth more than ten sons to you? What's the problem? Why are you constantly on this harangue about you don't have a child? What's the deal? I love you. I give you double portions every time. What's the problem? So she was literally isolated in her own house. No one was on her side. No one sat alongside her and grieved with her that we know of. All we know is she was wallowing in the depths of her pain and she felt alone. And she felt despondent. And in that culture, it's not in our culture, but in that culture, for a woman to be barren meant she was worthless. She had nothing to offer. Because in that culture, that's all she was good for, was procreating and providing a house for her husband. And so Hannah, this worthless in the eyes of the world person, is dying on the inside. And she pleads with the Lord, please God, if you will just, then I will. And she makes a vow. And God honors that vow. And the end result is there's blessing all around. It's a painful process, though. Because imagine the joy of finding out that she was pregnant. Imagine the joy of giving the birth to the child. It is indeed a male. She asked specifically for a male child, which was an incredible thing. If she had given birth to a daughter in in that culture at that time, it would not have had the same impact. But she... Her womb was opened by a male heir to her, her husband. But her husband gave her permission to turn the child over to the church. And after three years, approximately, we don't know the exact age, but weaning took about two to three years. And the reason for that was that way when she brought the child to Eli, there wouldn't be a burden on trying to find a wet nurse and someone to care. The child could pretty much take care of himself um, and he could begin to be part of the household of Eli. But there's an interesting, for me, there's this interesting relationship between Hannah and the Lord. She sees him as her only source. She sees him as her only hope. She turns to him. She makes a bargain with him. If you will, then I. And he fulfills it. But then she has a choice to make. Is she going to honor her vow before God? Because no one, no one would have known that she didn't. Remember she had to remind Eli who she was? No one would have known. But she was a woman who honored her relationship with God and then did what she said she was going to do. And she made the what I would consider the ultimate sacrifice. Because at that point in her life, she did not know if she would ever conceive another child. 
She had no promise from God that she would. But she was willing to give that which was the most dear thing to her back to God as an offering, as a sacrifice. Out of thanksgiving, out of love, out of commitment, whatever. I don't, I don't fully understand that. And I have been... Um, yesterday I was coming home from Camp Maranatha and we were listening to uh, an audiobook, one of the missionary books uh, for the 2014-2015 year. And I meant to write down the, the title. Oh, I do have it with me. I do have it with me. Take me just a second to open it up. It is called, For, Those, For Whose Sake I Have Lost All Things. If you have an opportunity to read that, it's a really powerful story. Uh, it's called, For Whose Sake I Have Lost All Things. And it's a, a story about a missionary couple um, and their story, their, their life. But as I was listening to that, and then also thinking about my sermon, and thinking about this story of Hannah, the Lord brought to mind this scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11. Paul wrote this. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews, as to the law... I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, well, just look, I'm blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through, the, through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God based on faith. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And in, I think it was verse 8. It says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish. What does it say in yours if you're looking at it? Anybody? If not, that's okay. That Greek word that was translated rubbish was actually cleaned up a little bit. It really says, I regard it as feces. Seriously, that's what it says. I regard all of these things that I have given up as feces in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Everything that Paul held important prior to his coming to Jesus, he now regards as only good for the septic tank. And see, there is a connection there between Hannah and her giving up of Samuel and what Paul's talking about here. Hannah loved God, served God, prayed and trusted God for her needs. 
God granted her the greatest need that she had. She, he fulfilled the greatest desire of her heart. But in righteousness before God, in holiness before God, she willingly gave up that which was the greatest possession she had. And for all intents and purposes, had to count it as rubbish. She had no more access to it. She could no longer come running and saying, I'm your mom, I love you, come home with me. It was over and done when she turned him over to Eli. With the exception of once a year bringing him a change of clothes. And it's this idea of complete and utter consecration, if you will, of what I hold dear and precious and important, giving it up to God so that I can have a righteous relationship with God. Because if you look at the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, what does it say? One of the first things that it was written, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Not your children, not your family, not your finances, not your prestige, not your career, not your vehicles. But God, I have served you faithfully all of these years. Shouldn't I get some blessings? Who do you think you are? He owes you nothing. Anything he gives you, you should receive with thanksgiving and give it right back to him. That's righteousness. That's holiness. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20, Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, not stomach for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Therefore, should I take the members of Christ and make them members with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said the two shall be one flesh. But anyone who unites the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. See, he's talking about this one particular sin. But then he goes on to say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Which means... I can't have necessarily what I want. I have to submit my will to his and accept from him whatever he brings. But that goes against me. 
I shouldn't have to be going through what I'm going through, God. Why should my house be hit with divorce? Why should my family go through this crap, oh God? Because, for heaven's sakes, my wife's grandparents were both ordained elders in the Church of the Nazarene. Her father was an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Her husband is an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. God, we have sacrificed. We have given sacrificially. We have more than tithed for more than 40 years. I could own brand new cars. I could own snow machines. I could be living in a very much more comfortable place than Two Rivers, Alaska. But I'm doing it because I sacrificed my life to you, oh God. Why does my daughter have to be going through a divorce? That's not right. It's not fair. And the answer is, who do you think you are? But it's not fair. I didn't say it was. I didn't say it was my will. But I'll get you through it. You see, when we say as Wesley and Arminian Nazarenes, we are holiness people, it doesn't mean that we keep ourselves pure from all filth and sin. Yes, that's part of it. What it literally means is we have no other gods but Jehovah. We do not allow anything else to get in between us and Him, even if it means having to sacrifice that which is most precious to us. And if you can't, then you're living a lie, because you say you are. If God ordains that thus and such must happen in your life, Who are you to say no? Look around this room. He is our righteousness. He is present with us. He is our shepherd. He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our peace. He is our banner. He is the Lord God who is over all of heaven's armies. We say that regularly in this congregation. But as we looked at this morning, and as we named this morning, there is horror going on In almost every household. And who are we to think we shouldn't get it? We live in a world that is broken and fallen and sinful because of humanity. And we were not given any promise in the word of God that we would not be affected by that evil. But we were given the word from God and we heard it from Elsie this morning in the prayer time. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will protect us. He will guard us. He will send angels around us. And we need to keep our focus on that. As holy people of God, we need to release to Him, consecrate to Him everything. Count as rubbish everything. Or if not necessarily release, we need to at least hold it lightly. Because maybe sometimes He doesn't say let go of it, but He doesn't want it to ever take His place. Because if it does, then you got to get rid of it. I don't know all of the stuff that you're all dealing with. I know some of the stuff you're dealing with. What I encourage you this day and this week is to spend your time as 
as you spend, whether five minutes or a half an hour or an hour with the Lord. Spend it consecrating, releasing to Him whatever it is that's keeping you from having the holy, pure, and right relationship that you're supposed to have with Him. If there's nothing, praise Him. If there is, let it go. And don't start singing, let it go, because I'll kill you. (laughs) Now we're going to all sing it as we walk out of the church. We're so holy people, we're singing Let It Go from Frozen. Let me just read these last, this is the first one more time to us as we, as we close out our time this morning. Philippians chapter 3. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings By becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen.